Hello, and welcome to the Lasting Impact Wellness Podcast, where together we explore ways to help you optimize your health and achieve sustainable well being. No one deserves to live an unhealthy life because they are overtasked, overstimulated, and overwhelmed. I'm your co host, Dr. Laura Hayes, and we'll be joined by Dr. Parker Hayes as we explore new perspectives and strategies rooted in self awareness, deep connections, and science based practices designed to create lasting impact for you and those around you. Please keep in mind this podcast is for the purpose of education, introspection, and community connection and should not be mistaken for medical advice. Be sure to subscribe and share with others. Let's be well together. Welcome to Lasting Impact Wellness, the podcast that helps you optimize your health and well-being through science-based practices, practical knowledge, and honest discussions. I'm your host today, Dr. Parker Hayes. Medicine is filled with tradition. The person seeking care or relief, the so-called patient and the provider of those things, the doctor or healer or whatever they may be called, have roles to play, costumes to wear, certain places or institutions where it all goes down, and they occupy certain identities within society. In various cultures around the world, this takes many forms but it does usually consist of a central formula. Person in need, provider drawing from a variety of possible methods to fulfill that need. Science is critical. Finding an evidence-based foundation for the things a provider does for a patient builds trust and maximizes the outcome for them. Of course, the humanistic aspect of delivering that science is also critical communicating the plan and implementing it in a way that the patient can understand, hopefully collaborating moving forward. Some physicians in this country have realized that the array of effective science-backed medicine is not solely aligned with a certain traditional branch or another and have found approaches that bring together the best aspects of many. My guest today is one of those pioneers. He would not describe himself in that way, but I know him to be as well as a mentor to me. Russell Greenfield, MD, is Senior Physician Consultant for the Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation for the Veterans Health Administration and maintains a private consultative integrative medicine practice as well. He previously served as Senior Director of Employee Whole Health for Whole Health Institute, where he was responsible for developing corporate partnerships and implementing programs in support of employee health and well-being. Immediately prior to that, he was physician executive and medical director of integrative medicine for Novant Health with headquarters in North Carolina. Dr. Greenfield completed residency training in emergency medicine at Harbor UCLA Medical Center as well as Chief Resident Fellowship, also at Harbor UCLA. After moving to Charlotte, North Carolina, he became involved in the emergency medicine program at Carolina's Medical Center. He was honored as the inaugural recipient of the Golden Apple Award for Excellence in Teaching. But after some years, he sought additional training and graduated from the Fellowship in Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in 1999 with Dr. Andrew Weil. 
He is board certified in both emergency medicine and lifestyle medicine. Dr. Greenfield was founding medical director of Carolina's Integrative Health, a freestanding center owned and operated by Carolina's healthcare system, now Atrium Health, and has been a consultant in the development of U.S. national model guidelines for the use of complementary and alternative therapies. He has directed integrative medicine initiatives for additional academic and community organizations, including Levine Cancer Institute, Wake Forest Baptist Health, Novant Health, Weisinger Cancer Institute, and Harris Teeter Supermarkets. He's the co-author of Healthy Child, Whole Child, named the Best Parenting Guide 2001 by the editors at Amazon.com, and is also the editor of Dr. Andrew Weil's book, Mind Over Meds, in 2017. Dr. Greenfield was also a consultant with the National Basketball Players Association. Beyond that, he is a highly capable, articulate teacher, and we are honored to have him here on the podcast today. Dr. Greenfield, welcome. Thank you so much, Parker. It really is an honor and a privilege. The first question I have for you is to help us understand the lexicon. There are many labels that go before some aspect of medicine, preventative medicine, functional medicine, alternative medicine, Western medicine, and the most common combinations of these, perhaps integrative medicine or other. Help us understand the difference between some of those terms and where integrative medicine fits in. Thank you, because it really is a great place to start. I think it's an unfortunate circumstance we find ourselves in that there is this, let's say, this variety of terminology available to those we seek to serve. And my concern about that is that those involved in each of these different areas, if you will, we glom onto that as our identity and we see ourselves as we're either this or that or whatever the case may be. That sounds a lot like uh, what happened in the conventional medical arena. And that's when we start uh, protecting our space and not thinking necessarily about what is best for the unique individual before us, we run the risk of separating people rather than bringing them all together. So my hope is that as we move forward, there's more umbrella terminology that just helps people know this is where I go to get better. From a conventional standpoint, conventional medicine, I think we all have had some exposure to. Some people will call that allopathic medicine, which focuses just more on the basic sciences, the basic physiology, and uh, the pharmacy and different procedures that we can use in order to help somebody, probably more who's like in urgencies and emergencies, and much less with regards to preventing any future illness. Preventive medicine is really quite extraordinary and wonderful. And it focuses a lot on things like diet and oh, exercise and things of that nature. But when you take a look at and the reimbursement strategies that are available for prevention, they're really more about early detection than they are about prevention. So thank goodness we can go out and get our colonoscopy. We can get mammography. We can do those types of things. But that's not the same as prevention. It's early detection, which is very important. Prevention is a different type of thing. And certainly preventive medicine dabbles in that space, as does lifestyle medicine, which focuses quite a bit on diet and exercise, sleep, those types of things. Functional medicine is more akin to integrative medicine, 
which I'll get to in just a moment. But functional medicine often, not always, but often focuses a great deal on specific lab tests and supplements, vitamins, nutrients, things of that nature that might be used in order to have those very specific lab tests closer to normal or improved upon. Now, integrative medicine, when I went through the training there, they made a specific decision not to train us in functional medicine because their perspective was that there's great biochemical data, but it doesn't necessarily align itself with clinical outcomes just yet. And so there are some who dabble in functional medicine along with their regular practice that often can benefit folks, but I didn't receive training in that because of the way that my program was set up. So integrative medicine is often defined as healing oriented care that takes account of the whole person. So certainly it's body, mind, and spirit, but it's also family, community, and environment, all in a gentle balance, which reflects a person's own innate resilience, their innate capacity to heal, such that the role of a healthcare practitioner is really quite different. It's not to find it and fix it if something's wrong. It's to help bring forth what the person was born with in the first place, their own gifts of healing, utilizing the best of conventional and or complementary therapies. Complementary medicine is where you add perhaps certain aspects of, oh, let's say massage or herbs or acupuncture, what have you, to a very strict conventional medical armamentarium. Alternative medicine is typically where you actually are not participating in conventional medical care, more science-based types of things that you would find in a more conventional medical arena, like a medical school or something of that nature. And you're doing some things that are outside that area that are perhaps more based in traditions from around the world. So where I think we run into problems for those of us who are seeking care is we take a look and say, which way, where do I go? What do I do? Because we bring some of these things up to our more conventionally minded practitioners. They haven't received training in it. And honestly, if you don't get exposure to it it, uh, during medical training, internship, residency, I think we come out of that training with the sense that it's got to be wrong. Otherwise, I would have learned about it. And that's simply not true. So I think as we move forward, one of the things I will look forward to is creating clarity for those seeking care so that they don't have to jumble through this lexicon, as you nicely put it, of this word mishmash that only serves to make people a little more uncertain in a very uncertain world. So it seems like some of those approaches are exclusive, whereas integrative medicine to some degree seeks to be exactly that, inclusive as well. I think that's a fair assessment. And yet if you speak to some folks like in the VA, the terminology that they use there is whole health. And they use that term in part because most everybody can glom onto it. And in that space, part of what they're out there saying is we're not claiming ownership over anything. We're just saying we should utilize the best of whatever is out there in order to help the unique individual before us. And I like that. So with that background, now that we understand more about what some of that terminology is and some of the philosophy or core aspects of integrative medicine. I want to hear upfront now about your journey from conventional medicine to integrative medicine. 
not in an exclusionary way, but in an integrative way. Take us back in time and tell us a little bit about your journey, your story from being side by side, training the likes of me next to gunshot wounds in the middle of the night at Carolina's Medical Center to the place you are today. Thank you. It's not the kind of thing I look at uh, my story so far. It's not the kind of thing that I think I would have read a long time ago and believed, honestly. My good fortune in being in emergency medicine in the relatively early days with you was that I actually initially, I knew I wanted to become a family medicine doctor in a small town. I grew up in a pretty small town in Connecticut and thought, wouldn't it be nice to know everybody and try and help everybody in my community? My very first rotation that I had set up during my third year was family medicine, and I did not like it. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I had taken a uh, an externship during uh, my first year of medical school where they offered a class in emergency medicine. And I was really taken with it, but I kept thinking, well, no, I'm going into family medicine, I'm going to family medicine. And I went, I worked with this doc at Evanston who also worked at Northwestern and I spent some time with him, but I was like, no, I'm going to family medicine, going to family medicine. And then I did my emergency medicine rotation. I was, I really was, I was hooked. And then I went around the country and did rotations at, at various places I was in Harlem, New York. I was in Akron, Ohio. I was in Wake Forest University. I was at Denver General. And I was loving what, what I was doing. And then I was very fortunate. was accepted to my residency pro program at Harvard UCLA, where part of what I was looking for is that opportunity where ultimately the responsibility really resided with me. And that's what happened back in those days. It's better now. <laughs> but back in those days... Um, after a certain hour, the residents uh, pretty much were in control and always had faculty backup, um, but you were pretty much in control. And that's what I wanted. I wanted that responsibility because, frankly, I think, um, especially in those days, fear was a really good instructor. And so I read and I paid attention and I did stuff because I was, I just did not, I didn't want to hurt anybody. And so I wanted to make certain that I could do what I could do. And then I was fortunate to be given the opportunity to do chief resident fellowship so that I could learn a little bit more about helping others to learn as well. And then I had the opportunity to come to Charlotte where, you know, a, an a exploding, wonderful emergency medicine residency program with the best candidates with the likes of you, Parker, and um, the give and take of learning while taking care of people in need. It was extraordinary. It was amazing. I then had the opportunity to become a director in the community like yourself. And one of the things I noticed, one shift, I still remember this. I was a very happy guy. I'd met the, the woman of my dreams. We had two little kids in diapers. We have a, a nice little home. All of my family's in North Carolina. I've got this great job. Life is great. And I'm in a shift in the emergency department. It was a three to 11 shift, or as we'd call it, three to whenever. And I was looking around and everybody around me was unhappy. Everybody. The patients were unhappy. The doctors were unhappy. The doctors we called in were unhappy. The nurses were unhappy. Administration was unhappy because we were so busy. Certainly the insurance people were going to be unhappy. I was looking around. I was going, this is so bad. What is going on here? And then one specific patient, one in the morning, crazy shift. I picked up the chart and it said rheumatoid arthritis, 52 year old lady. And so I did exactly the wrong thing. As I started walking towards the room, I was thinking I can 
do this. I can do this. I think I, I can, I, I bet I can take care of her pretty quickly. So I walked into the room. I said, hi, I'm Russ Greenfield. How can I be of service? And she said, Russ Greenfield. I've had rheumatoid arthritis for the past 12 years. I've been on gold therapy, methotrexate. I've been on steroids. And I want you to fix me right now, which I did not expect. <laughs> and so we spoke to one another. We did some evaluation and everything. And I sent her home, but to follow up with a rheumatologist the very next day. But it struck me afterwards that I had not done what was necessary because she actually did not have a physical emergency at that moment. She had another type of urgency. She needed somebody to acknowledge and validate what she was experiencing at that moment and just share with her that this has got to stink. And how do we work together to try and make this better? And it struck me that in the emergency department, we put band-aids on gaping wide wounds that oftentimes are not physical in the first place. And then I started talking with more and more of our primary care colleagues and finding out that more and more of primary care is looking like emergency medicine. Come on in, you've got a fire, we'll put it out, I'll write your prescription, come back in three months and we'll do it again. And that struck me as this is not healthcare. Well, along the way, I had been studying some aspects of Chinese medicine because to me, it seemed like poetry. And there had been an article written by a fellow named David Eisenberg at Harvard showing that a full 30% of people in the country were using complementary and alternative therapies without it being covered by insurance. And what does that say about our healthcare system? So there's a long story behind this, but I found out about this program at the University of Arizona. It was in its very first year, and their stated purpose was to right the ship of healthcare and actually make it be about health. And that resonated with me in a big way. What if I can not only as you and I spoke of earlier, Parker, help people in dire straits, but what if I can help prevent them from getting there by engaging them in a healing relationship where they're actually given more control over their circumstances and less of a, a mandate from their physician. And so I went out there not knowing what integrative medicine was, but just knowing that this called to me in a very different way. And so I was in that very first class, myself and three other physician colleagues, and we're actually going back this April to celebrate the 25th anniversary of our um, the first graduating class. So tell me a little bit about some of the conversations you may have had at that time, mid-late 90s, when you said, I am leaving a fantastic position in academic emergency medicine, and I am going to pursue this type of training at the University of Arizona. Yeah, they, they were interesting conversations with my wife with my family members, but especially with our colleagues in emergency medicine. So at the time, while I had left academics, I was right down the road at a community facility where I was a director of a brand spanking new emergency department out in Matthews, North Carolina. And we were building and we were growing, we were doing all these types of things. And it was a job, when I look back on it, not at the time, but when I look back on it, it was a job that a lot of people would have wanted, I imagine. It was a good role. It had the authority um, associated with it to try and serve my colleagues as well as my uh, patients. And we were in my wife's hometown, so all is good. And we're about to consider leaving that job, going back to a below residence salary, selling our home, moving to the desert where we know nobody with two kids in diapers. And so 
easily nine out of 10 of our emergency physician colleagues thought I had lost my mind. Like you are nuts. People work towards this role and you've got it early in your career. What are you doing? But the other one out of 10 literally said to me, Russ, I wish I could do what you're doing, which struck me as you could, <laughs> but they didn't see it that way. It's part of the reason I could do this, to be honest with you, Parker, is that if things went south and integrated medicine, who knows what it was? Because we didn't know. We were, it was on a flyer, but there was this vision. There was this dream, this aspiration of what if I could help contribute towards something way bigger than myself, transforming all of healthcare. And I didn't know that we'd really be able to do it, to be honest with you, but I liked the stated purpose, the commitment from the university, from the medical school, that this was real. This was, And they were going to apply science to some things that really needed it so that we could help for our, our patients and ourselves discern between what's a really great idea, what's safe, but might be a little bit early, what looks safe, but there's not enough data, what might be actually nonsensical, and what might be flat out dangerous and help people make those decisions for themselves to wrest control of the patient-doctor relationship from the doctor and give it back to us when we're sitting across from that healthcare practitioner. Wow, it's a fascinating tale. Now that we have that background and you've made this transition and you have had the best available pioneering formal training in the field, let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of integrative medicine as a practice. How do you incorporate complementary therapies? How do you choose from that array of different possibilities like acupuncture or herbal medicine or mindfulness practices? How did that evolve over time? And, and how do you integrate that into an integrative practice today? So it's a, a really great question, not surprisingly. To be honest with you, I loved emergency medicine. I loved being that person who not knowing what's coming through the door in the 11th hour of your shift and coming in together with a team and doing your best to help somebody in need or reassuring somebody when everything is okay and everything in between, you had to know a little bit of everything. And that is one of the things that I actually think serves well in integrative medicine because you've already had some background in pulling from an array of experiences and knowledge that, that anybody in emergency medicine has been exposed to. Where it was different is I thought I was open-minded, but I actually walked into it with some pretty set preconceived notions about, let's say, right and wrong and evidence, no evidence, those types of things. And what I think was most important for me was to have experience myself with some of the complementary, even alternative modalities that initially I went in with no and came away with, wow, that was completely different than what I anticipated. And learning that my simple lack of knowledge about a particular modality doesn't mean that there's no evidence for it. So as an example, the second day of the fellowship, they started to expose us to mindfulness meditation. Now at the time, I was not a meditation guy at all. So they told us that they're gonna teach us meditation. I was nodding my head outwardly, but inwardly I was shaking my head, no way. I like baseball, basketball, football. I'm not one of these people who sits with my thumb and index finger together on a Zafu and, but I'm here to learn and okay. And so the first time we closed our eyes together for five minutes, 
I thought I was going to lose my mind. I was like, I am not made this way. I got to get going. Holy moly. This for other people is not for me. And lo and behold, three weeks later, we were all sitting together for 10 minutes, um, just breathing and, and learning different things. And it was mind blowing because I was like, gosh, I've been practicing medicine for a long time now, had some of the best teachers imaginable. And I don't know all there is to know. And there are things within us that maybe I can explore for myself, for my family, but especially for the patients that I serve. So that experience was critically important. And then knowing where to look for the evidence and trying, because it's even hard to this day, not to be judgmental about a new therapy that suddenly appears that sounds like it's from some tradition out in the wilds of who knows where, and it's not quote unquote science-based, even though it's been used traditionally for thousands of years and trying not to be judgmental about it and then taking a look and seeing, whoa. And so a big part of it for me was seeing what happened for certain patients. I can remember them easily who utilized modalities that I had never been exposed to, who had tried everything from a conventional realm and then got better utilizing some of these ways moving forward from an integrated perspective. So as background, I offer that because the other aspect of it was that early on, what was promoted to us is that each of us has intuition and intuition can be honed. It can be trained. We can be trained to utilize our intuition. That's not the way medicine typically works. It's, you know, I think it's this, but I need to verify it with these labs and the CT scan, things like that. In the emergency department, sometimes you don't have that luxury. But the idea here is to tune into your intuition and to follow that with regards to what might best benefit uh, the person seeing before you in partnership, asking them literally, what do you think is going on? Or trying to hear the things between the lines that don't necessarily get um, spoken all the time. And so one of the most amazing things that I have learned, I thought I had learned this in medical school, but there's much more that that needs to be taken and, and, and understood is literally how to simply sit and listen and let the person before me speak their truth because throughout med their medical care, they have almost never had that opportunity to sit across from someone and tell them how they're really honestly doing and what it is they're really honestly after. And so at the VA and whole health, they talk about the map meaning, aspiration, and purpose. Each person has that. And the idea is to see if we can engage a person in a conversation about what's really important to them. And then as a practitioner, that's our homework in order to try and get them to that spot, utilizing the best of conventional and complementary alternative integrative modalities to help them get there in a way that isn't overwhelming. So I often tell folks, for anybody that I had the chance to meet with, for myself, there's anywhere from three to 25 different things that could benefit us. But if I were to offer them a list of 15 things to do when they leave the office, I'm not gonna make their stress better, I'm gonna make it worse. And they're gonna take a look and they might be charged and try and do everything over the next week and then they'll be toast and say, forget the whole thing. So what I try to do is hone into what's most important to them, what they've shared with me, and then craft an, an offering, five or six or seven different things that they can consider, of which I ask them to do no more than two of them. 
Because not only do I want this to be effective and beneficial for them, I want it to be relatively easy. And we let them know that many of these things don't work like taking a pill. You may not feel better immediately, but you might. But it's a pretty good chance that looking back six, eight weeks from now, you're going to say, I'm feeling better than I was. I might be a little bit more imbalanced. And if not, we re-explore and say, maybe there's something more that we can do. Because the, one of the beautiful things about integrative medicine is there's always something more that we can do. Always. Even if the only part of that is bringing ourselves into the equation and trying to create a healing space. When choosing the two out of five, do you think you lean more towards the ones that you know they will do or the ones that might have the greatest initial effect and buy investment from the patient? I actually try and lean mostly on a sense that I have from the person and the experience that I've had with people who have had um, similar types of things. Remember, I've been doing this for a while. It's not when in emergency medicine, a lot of what we do could be considered algorithmic. And integrated medicine is not linear at all. And somebody may come through the door and it's find it, fix it. They've got A, I'll just offer them B. But when I'm talking with them, I find that I don't think they're ready in the space for B. I think they need something else where somebody may have this chronic pain that they've had for a very long time. And they've utilized a lot of different medications, modalities, and they've had various hands-on care. But in listening to somebody, like really listening, you may come away saying, gosh, they might benefit from this, a more gentle way of broaching a, let's say a topic or a physical topic for somebody rather than just going, well, here's what you need and here's the mandate or whatever the case may be, because it really is an offering. And so I try to listen again for what's most important to the person. And then yes, every once in a while, I'll draw a straight line um, based because I can honestly say to them, I really believe that this could benefit you because of what I've seen in the past. But I also couch it in terms of if this doesn't resonate with you, there are, we can go other directions. Most times I ask people to choose for themselves which of the five or six or seven things that they want to explore first. Because even though I might say acupuncture is the way to go, they might say, great, I've had too many needles in my life and I don't want to do that right now. And that's fine. It's more than fine. But there are other times where I might say to them, I know this is coming out of left field, but I really think that you ought to explore this. And here's why. And then sometimes patients will say to me, Russ, I want you to choose the one or two for me, which is fine. I'm happy to do that. I just want them to know that we're in relationship here, a healing relationship where actually most people go to the doctor even now and say that I'm resting, I'm giving control of my situation to you, doctor A or B. And whether they like the doctor or not, and whether they share the same values or whether they have that healing relationship, that's the person they quote unquote have to work with. And that's just not true. You want to work with a doctor who meets you on your value system, who will have a discussion with you in a non-judgmental way about things that you're exploring doing, who don't mind if you bring in a suitcase full of vitamins, supplements, and herbs to go over, because that happens all the time in my practice. And we talk about which ones look beneficial and which ones don't. And maybe we should be spending some of this money on healthy food and things like that. But it's an offering. It's not an order because all too often as patients, we are given, here's what you're going to do, especially when things are pretty tough if somebody has a really hard diagnosis. But one of the most beautiful things about integrative medicine 
that I've learned that is, I think it's, it instills hope. There's the opportunity we see in conventional medicine. We study outcomes and here's the natural outcome untreated. Here's the outcome with this treatment. Here's the outcome with that treatment as if it's absolute. But we learn early on that statistics are descriptive of a given population of people, but they don't necessarily say anything about the person right in front of us right now. They might be descriptive, but they're not predictive for the unique individual. And that means there's promise for things to be even better for the person. Folks can do well being passive recipients of care, but in my experience, they do far better if they're active participants in their care. So taking that from the patient's perspective, for our listeners who may be seeing a traditional medicine primary care doctor, what are the questions one should ask or things one should know to achieve a more holistic evaluation from their doctor? Yeah, it's a very good question because one of the things that's really hard these days is our primary care colleagues are suffering in a big way. They are, I think for anybody who goes into the field, the healing arts, it is a calling. The reality is different. And that's the going to be the case in, in any practice, but in primary care, perhaps more so because they are just under the gun to see more and more people uh, spend less and less time with folks because of the, oh, the industrialization of, of healthcare, if you will. And it's just with the more and more business aspects of things We're really uh, healthcare and a healing relationship means taking time with folks. And so I think one of the things when sitting down with somebody who might be our primary care doctor is getting a sense of how much time they actually have with us. Will they hear us out about what's really important to us, what our goals are? We might walk through the door and say, I have diagnosis A, B, C, and D, but doctor, I want to talk with you about how can I feel better overall and how can I perform at an optimal level, both at work and at home? And see how they feel about vitamins, supplements, and herbs and things of that nature. For the most part, people like ourselves might go into our primary care doctor's office, and we may be doing some things that are outside the realm of conventional medicine. And most people, even today, are afraid, literally afraid to tell their primary care doctor about the things they're doing. And that's that it can't be that way. We need to meet with somebody who meets us on our value system, not only just because that's important for our overall health and being and belief in the care that's offered to us, but it actually could be dangerous too, because we're using some vitamins, supplements, and herbs, and our doctor is giving us prescription medication too. Something that has an action in the body can have an interaction in the body too. And if we're not open and upfront about things, we might actually be doing ourselves harm. So I ask folks to remember that your doctor, who you're assigned to, who you've been meeting with for years, or your newly assigned doctor, your doctor works for you. And so if you don't actually have the sense that this is going to work out right, especially if you're in a relatively stable place right now, look for another doctor. Now, if you are in an urgent um, situation, yes, you want to work with a doc who knows you until you're better. But if you don't feel like that person has the same vision, ideas about what health and being can be, let's find you another doctor. So from the doctor's perspective, tell me a little bit about how you collaborate with other healthcare professionals, such as conventional doctors, to bring that comprehensive care to the patients. But when I came back from Arizona back in 2001 to the Charlotte area, as an emergency physician, Parker, you know this well, 
we get a chance to really interact with many of the physicians in the community. And so I had relationships with lots and lots of doctors, called them friends, colleagues. It was great. I came back in 2001 and they were like, Russ, have you gone to the dark side? <laughs> what, what has happened? What are you doing? And so part of what it took a, a little bit of time um, to do was to let folks know that I hadn't left conventional medicine. I like conventional medicine. It works in a lot of realms, but in some realms, it's just perhaps not enough. When you take a look at some of the maladies that people have now, we can do a really good job at masking symptoms and managing symptoms, but to get to the root cause of the disorder, we're not necessarily so good at that, nor are we so good at preventing the illness in the first place. So the idea was not accepting complementary alternative therapies without evidence or eschewing conventional medicine. The idea was for each individual, there's that best blend, that best mix of conventional and complementary and or even in some instances, alternative therapies that meet the needs of the individual while having a very focused eye on safety. I ended up spending a lot of time, a lot of time going out and meeting with individual physicians to let them know what it is that I do and what it is specifically that I don't do. And one quick story about that, there was a very well-regarded grandfatherly figure in internal medicine in the Charlotte area. And I was invited to speak to his group at a noon lecture to explore what integrative medicine was. And part of what you end up doing in this space, and Parker, I don't know if you've had this experience yet, but if you go out and give presentations to our conventional colleagues, somebody's going to complain and say, you're this or you're that. And so it's just, it comes with the territory and you learn how to manage it because uh, it's just a misunderstanding. And uh, we're just, we just, we're aiming to do the same thing, which is take care of folks. So I'm in the middle of my presentation and this grandfatherly figure in, in front of all of his colleagues stands up and goes, what really gets me ticked off? And I was like, what? He goes, if I'm going to do right by my patients, not only do I have to see him, I have to send all of them to you because you're doing what really needs to be done. Only we don't have time to do this. We need to talk about stress management. We need to talk about diet and exercise and which vitamins and supplements. That. And I was like, wow, that was really good. So the reality is that I think our primary care colleagues would love to do what we are talking about, but the system doesn't support it. And so what I let them know is that hopefully what I can do is save time for you is to go over some things and help people stay safe while they're still receiving the best medical care from a conventional perspective from you. So I'm not doing primary care. I'm not taking your patients. Hopefully I can offer some things for your patients where conventional medicine hasn't had an answer just yet. And you've got one more referral that you can offer to somebody that maybe they can glom on. So let's talk a little bit specifics. Can you provide some examples, some case studies an example of a patient case where integrative medicine really made the significant difference in their health outcome. A large part of my practice is helping people with the experience of cancer, whether that is someone who's at high risk for it, who's in the midst of treatment for it, or who has completed treatment for it, as well as some other pretty significant illnesses where people are just on lots and lots of medications and things of that nature. Looking at somebody who perhaps uh, just taking a look at some different scenarios, a young lady who has received um, treatment for estrogen receptor 
positive breast cancer and um, is now on um, menopause and is taking a medication called an aromatase inhibitor. And what aromatase inhibitors do is they actually prevent estrogen from being created from cells in the body outside the ovaries, like in fat cells and things like that, through an enzyme called aromatase. So if you block that enzyme aromatase, you can actually lower estrogen levels even farther, and that helps to reduce risk for recurrence. Well, aromatase inhibitors sometimes cause joint aches and pains, and it can be difficult to treat. And there are a fair number of women who stop taking the aromatase inhibitor because they just can't take being in pain like that, even though it might help save their lives down the road. What a terrible situation to find oneself in. There had been smatterings of research data suggesting that acupuncture can specifically help reduce joint aches and pains associated with aromatase inhibitor use. So initially when we started offering this, you know, some of our conventional medical colleagues were losing their minds saying, this is an expense that isn't covered by insurance and what are you doing? And we have non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents that we can use and things of that nature, but people were not getting complete resolution of their discomfort. And lo and behold, more and more research started coming out showing that acupuncture really does work. And it's a game changer for somebody who's on that medication, who has joint aches and pains, who now can be far more comfortable in their day-to-day and still be able to take a medication that can be life-saving. On the alternative end spectrum of things, let's talk about energy medicine for a moment. So when I talk with people, especially our colleagues about energy medicine, that's where they really start going, Russ, you're starting to get a little woo-woo on me here. (laughs) And the way I was exposed to this was we use energy in healthcare all the time. We measure electrical energy when we do an electrocardiogram, the, the heart's electricity. We use sound waves. We use spin on atoms in order to do different imaging studies. We use energy all the time in medicine. And then on a different level, in the old days when charts were paper, when you picked up a chart on a patient and it was the the length of your arm, you had a different energy about going into the room than if you went in to see somebody whose chart was perhaps a little bit thinner. The idea behind energy medicine is that these people who offer, generally speaking, are extraordinarily kind and compassionate. And they have gone after training that takes anywhere from two to five years to learn how to channel that energy, wherever it comes from, up above, from other people, from trees, from the sky, wherever, that it may come to them that they might simply be a passive conduit for that energy and be directed to a person in need where it could do the most good. They're not diagnosing people. They're not saying, I can heal you. They're just saying there's good in the world and perhaps it can be directed in a way that can be beneficial for folks. So over the years, I've had the opportunity to, and again, it's a little bit of an intuition thing about who could benefit from this. Over the years, I've offered this modality or referral to that modality for many different people. And one of them was a gigantic NFL football player who uh, came in for a specific issue and his diminutive significant other said, you mentioned energy mess and I think that is something he could really benefit from. This NFL football player did not smile. And he looked like he was not happy with me when I said, we can set this up and I think it really would benefit you. So the day when he came back to have his energy healing session, this was like Reiki or healing touch uh, at the time that he received. He went down the hallway to get the treatment and he did not look happy with me. 
an hour later, it just so happened that I had come out from seeing a patient and he was walking down the hallway after his treatment. And I really thought I was going to die. This guy is going to kill me. He, he was huge and he did not look happy. And he walked up to me and his only words were, when can I have that again? Because oh, wow. he was having a chronic pain condition that was preventing him from being able to do some of the things he needed to do both on the field and off. And he had experienced significant pain relief. Now, when you take a look and see what is the mechanism of action behind energy healing, I can't point to a lot of data, but I can point to outcomes data showing that it can help people with pain, with comfort, with a sense of ease, with sleep, and it's safe. And so I always get around with folks and say, this came in pill form, we'd all be taking it. So what are some of the top things that a person can do if you were prescribing for a population in a way, developing that custom plan, in other words, antithetical to the holistic custom approach you've described, but what are the top three things, say, that a person could do that would improve their overall preventative look from the perspective of an integrative physician? Of course, each person being unique individual, it's hard to offer something that, you know, as a blanket, uh, we also participate in. But I think I actually might be able to answer your questions with some ideas. So the first is something that I learned from my patients. Here it is. I've been through medical school, internship, residency, two fellowships, and I'd never been exposed to this idea, but I learned it directly from my patients, oftentimes wordlessly. I think the centerpiece of healing, regardless of our circumstance, is kindness, but it is kindness towards ourselves. And that is something that we often have a lot of difficulty with because we equate it with selfishness. And that's not what I'm speaking about. Nobody wants to be selfish, but we could act in ways that are more self-sustaining. We could be kinder towards ourselves so that we can continue to do the good work that we aim to do, that meaning aspiration purpose that we spoke about before. We need energy in order to be able to do that. Chinese medicine teaches that those who give and give and give without taking time to replenish their energies run the risk ultimately of becoming depleted. Now, the depleted state doesn't cause illness, but it certainly can open the doorway to it. And we, not, we want none of us to be in that space. So the first is to recognize that we are deserving of self-care even in the midst of craziness and taking care of little ones and work and a crazy uncertain world and COVID, we are deserving of self-care if for no other reason that we need to build up our reserves to continue to do our good work for the long haul. Creating that distinction between being selfish and acting in ways that are self-sustaining. The second is we would never ask anybody to stop, but we would ask everybody to pause. And this is the opportunity to simply take a breath between your, your closing your last phone call and starting your new one, or having checked out the person in line and getting ready to check in the next person, whatever the case may be, just taking a pause. And I think this the best way to do that is to create and keep some form of Sabbath doesn't have to be religious. I know it has a religious connotation, but really it's the day of rest. 
And I ask people to start with somewhere between three and four hours on a day where they're not working. It's often the weekend, but not always. On a day where they're not working, where they can create three to four hours just for themselves. Nothing scheduled, a time where we will do no work. That includes housework, however. So no bills, no laundry, something like that. And in our lives where everything is so busy, asking somebody to create space to do nothing is a challenge because people will say to me, Russell, what do I do during that time? And the answer is you can do anything that you want to, that you don't have primary responsibility for. So if you're lucky enough to be in a relationship and you have kids, what have you, maybe you take the three to four hours on this week. And the easiest way to do that is to get out of the house, walk the greenway, meet a friend for coffee, go to a bookstore, catch a movie that you wanted to see on the spontaneous, spontaneously sign up for um, a class that you wanted to do, but don't fill it up with um, things that are scheduled. Keep it free. It's a time to pause the next weekend. Give that time, gift that time, offer that time to your significant other. So they have three to four hours. The next week, take that three to four hours together as a family. Let the kids know mom and dad are free or, and, and then start over again. But it's a time where, you know, we have, <laughs> if you and I work 24 seven, 365, there are still gonna be boxes that need to be checked off. That stuff is not going anywhere. And so taking a time to pause, to remember why it is that we work so hard, to take our eyes from the screen, to look up at the stars and the sky, to have some time to offer gratitude, to offer forgiveness, to offer calm and rest, we talk about the importance of sleep, but everybody needs the opportunity to rest as well. And so the second thing I would say is creating some degree of Sabbath space. And I think the third thing that I would um, ask folks to do is it kind of borders on the first one, which is there's so much information coming at us. And a lot of it is fear mongering. You have to eat this way, you can't eat that, or you've got to get this many hours of sleep or this much exercise, or whatever the case may be is to um, trust in themselves, that they actually have a pretty good idea about what it is that they might need to do and what it is that might be good for them. And then again, going back to that kindness part is to do some aspect of it. They don't have to do all of it, but to do some aspect of it, to do perhaps a per personal health inventory and take a look and see where do I need the most health? Is it health? Is it my relationship? Is it sleep? Is it movement? Is it stress management? Whatever. And just getting a sense of where you're at and then offering yourself the opportunity to seek help and guidance, not necessarily only by Google, but to see somebody like you, Parker, or to see somebody else who's had exposure and training to different things that have credibility behind them so that you stay safe but that also put forth the notion that all healing doesn't come from a prescription pill. A lot of it is within us and to trust each of us that we have within us that innate healing capacity. And it may take a little bit of exploration to find it, but it's there. <clears throat> I certainly am going to remember and hopefully incorporate those three things starting immediately. Tell me how you have seen things change. You had this pivot to 
integrative medicine training from conventional training in the mid nineties and have grown since what could have been an advent to that field since then, what are the greatest or most significant changes you've seen since hopefully given greater societal interest and acceptance of integrative principles? Some of the changes have been monumental. It's been just unbelievable um, to see. So when I left to go to Arizona in 1997, to my knowledge, there nobody knew what a fish oil capsule was and nobody had ever heard of turmeric and acupuncture was still voodoo in a, in a lot of corners. And even as I recall in uh, 1997, working at the YMCA, there was no yoga class because a lot of people thought that yoga and meditation were religion. And what are you doing talking about my spiritual practice on and on? Now you take a look and that so much of this information has made its way into the everyday parlance of people walking the street. They've, they know about omega-3 fats. They know about vitamin D. They've heard about acupuncture and acupressure. Mindfulness meditation is everywhere from the corporate space to, uh, to elementary schools. So some of these changes have found a way to actually embed themselves in the everyday activities of people. And I would, it's just wonderful in that regard. It's fantastic. What still holds us back, however, is that it's not an everyday common parlance in the medical field. It is slowly getting there. But remember that, unfortunately, what often drives the incentives in healthcare, unfortunately, are often financial. And there is no reimbursement for wellness. There are, there's insurance reimbursement for early detection, things of that nature, thank goodness, and some preventive strategies and things of that nature. But if somebody has a low vitamin D level and they are experiencing body aches and pains, which is one of the things that can happen with a low vitamin D level, vitamin D is not covered by insurance. There might be certain forms where you might be able to get away with it. The everyday tablet or something like that won't be covered. That's not available to everybody. Acupuncture, typically not covered by insurance. Maybe for somebody with back or spine pain, but most of the time it's not covered. Massage, not covered. Meeting with somebody who has an integrative medicine background, oftentimes not covered. And still people are leaving medical school, internship, residency, fellowship training without any background in some of the complementary therapies, even alternative therapies that are out there that show promise for people. And too many times the way things are set up even now is it's an either or for us as patients. Either I'm going to go the conventional medical route or I'm going to go the complementary, even alternative medicine route. And the two sides, if you will, simply don't talk to one another and that has to change. And so kudos to you, Parker, and to those like you who say we have to be able to hold a global conversation for, with folks so that they can see what the options are available to them and they can make the decisions. Our job is to offer them credible advice and to help keep them safe on that journey and do our best to help them in that regard. I know we're going to get there, but I fear that, that fear may not be the right word. Since the late 1990s, some of the leaders in the space are saying the only way that healthcare is going to change is for it to implode. And, and then we can focus more on prevention and wellness. I hope it doesn't get to that. I really do. But I do have my concerns about it because the incentives remain upside down. 
And we need to get back to the type of thing that actually happens in the VA, which is if it's good for the patient, we're going to offer it. I've already reconjured your eloquently told anecdote about your first mindfulness experience in training and the realization that I don't know everything, but being willing to learn it. And maybe that in the collective has led to the embedding of yoga and all these other things that you describe into the public mindset and practice. And hopefully it will extend further into uh, medical realms as well. Tell me what you are excited about. What's around the corner? What do you think might represent the most significant areas of progress, if not actual breakthroughs in the realms of integrative medicine, aging and longevity, the way we deliver healthcare? What are you excited about right now? Uh, thank goodness there's a lot to be excited about in, the, in this space. There's a lot of good information making its way out to the general public. Now, there's some stuff that you have to be cautious about, of course, but some of the books that are out there that are talking about healthy aging, and, and it's not so much anti-aging as it is healthy aging. I like to get around with folks. Anti-aging is, is not my favorite terminology because the alternative to aging is not very good. How can we age well? How can we age optimally? And that's what a lot of people are talking about now. And that stuff, much of it is within our grasp. And so it's a choice that we can make. We don't have to feel badly if we don't make it, but just to have access to that kind of information, let us know that health doesn't come from the doctor's office. That's really cool to know. There are many medical schools now that are embedding integrative medicine into their curriculum. Now, it's often been available over the years as elective, but now it's becoming mandatory, which is great. And so that's a big part of it. But it begs the question, even if you've been trained in this, who's going to pay for it? And because most people, you know, you could consider the early days of integrative medicine, one of the things we fought against and fought against, it could have been considered elitist because only those who could afford it could get it. And we were completely against that. And that's what led me to working with Harris Teeter and other places like that in order to try and bring the information out to a larger audience where anybody could benefit. So I don't believe that healthcare is going to change because of academic medical centers, insurance companies, government, at least with regards to integrative medicine. I actually believe where the change is going to come is from the corporate sphere, where businesses are paying more and more attention nowadays to employee health and being for no other reason, because the COVID experience, the, the COVID era has shown us how much suffering is going on amongst our employees and what impact it has on them overall as human beings, but also at work with regards to productivity and things of that nature. I honestly believe in the conversations I've been fortunate to have and what I see happening in the field is that the change in healthcare is probably gonna come through business. Because if they can find a way to help their employees stay healthier, it's gonna cost them less money from a healthcare insurance perspective and things of that nature. They are more balanced at work. They're perhaps more productive human beings at work and outside. And all in all, when you, one of the things that's really interesting around this is that this has been looked at for years. There have been wellness programs within 
corporations and businesses for years and years. And yet when you look at the data, oftentimes it's less than thrilling. So much so that there have been articles written over the past five, eight years saying maybe wellness doesn't pay from a business perspective. And I would push back against that saying that maybe we're not measuring the right things. Maybe absenteeism, presenteeism, those types of things aren't the only things that we should be measuring. Maybe we should measuring, do people have a sense of meaning and purpose at work? Are their voices heard? Do they feel like they belong? You know, those types of things that, let's say the soft side of science um, is often the harder side of science than some of the things that are typically measured in the business arena. And what I'm excited about is more and more businesses are coming around to this. So I actually think that prior to medic medicine as we know it imploding, I think business could actually save us on a large level and even on a small level with regards to making certain that we're taking care of ourselves, not just because it's the, the humane thing to do, but because it's ultimately good for business too. And I think that's what's gonna happen. And it's happening in a lot of spaces already. The academic rigor that is devoted to the study of burnout with regard to employee engagement, the sense of meaning, the sense of purpose, belonging to something greater than themselves as a prevention for individual burnout symptoms or as things to be measured when treating that entity, that's largely done in the corporate sphere. Yes. Where do people go to learn more? If you were talking to a person in the elevator and you wanted to send them and their notepad to places that give responsible information about integrative, holistic care, where would you send them? So I am a little bit biased because I feel like I got some of the best training available through the University of Arizona. There are other sites and other centers, of course, but I actually would send people to the University of Arizona's, it's actually now called the WEIL, W-E-I-L, Center for Integrative Medicine, because there are classes and programs there available for everyday folks, all the way through healthcare practitioners and everybody in between. And it's actionable information that is uh, readily understandable too. It's written for everybody to be able to understand and, and to put into practice. And again, it's put forth as an offer. It's put forth as a way of being kind to ourselves. There are many other entities. There's a wondrously philanthropic family called um, the Oshers, O-S-H-E-R. And they have funded centers across the nation, University of California, San Francisco, Vanderbilt, on and on. Any of those centers would be great places to download information as well. The University of Wisconsin Department of Family Medicine has a wonderful integrative medicine initiative with handouts and website information that you can find uh, for people with cancer, Memorial Sloan Kettering and other big cancer centers almost, almost always include comprehensive alternative therapies because they have to be considered a comprehensive cancer center these days. You have to offer things like proper use of vitamins, supplements and herbs and acupuncture and yoga therapy, not standing on your head necessarily, but yoga therapy, all these things need to be offered as part and parcel of overall care of folks. So the good news is that there's actually, back in 1997, there weren't a lot of places to go. Now there are many different places to go. There may be places close to home. And so your friends and colleagues may 
in, in the community listeners, they may know some folks that they've gone to who they benefited from. They may know some programs to go to. They may know some websites to go to. There's lots and lots of stuff, but a lot of times what they really need, Parker, is somebody like you who can help them cone down the number of sites and things like that to the ones that you really feel comfortable with, that you feel like the, the best credible information is available there. Because otherwise, you can go down the rabbit hole. If you type in mindfulness meditation into your web browser, you're going to get a gazillion hits and that's great. But which one do you go to? And so if you can offer them, here's the two or three that I would send people to. I think it's a great service. And I know that's something that you can do through your podcast and through the work that you're doing. It's one of the things that people are always looking for. So if I'm going to get this information from my acupuncturist, can I share it with my doctor? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But there's other information that is readily available to all of us. And that's the kind of thing that as patients, we want to bring to our doctor. Because again, speaking about who your primary care doctor should be, they should be somebody who takes that information and says, thank you. I will look at this. That's the way that you find somebody who will be a partner with you because they don't have to go through integrative medicine training in order to work with you as an integrative practitioner. They just need to be able to listen and be open to possibility. Acronyms and traditional institutions aren't everything, but it is very interesting to hear a relative laundry list of traditional academic institutions that are cited as worthy sources for integrative medicine information. Yeah, things are changing in a good way. I would add the Center for Complementary Medicine. That may not be the exact title, but the fact of the matter is that there's a huge website under the NIH banner that covers topics that may may have been considered less than traditional just a short time ago. It's true. And they also have websites for the the proper use of vitamins, supplements, and herbs and things of that nature. A lot of times these websites are a little bit on the conservative side of things. And so it's a great foundational knowledge base for folks, um, but it's often pretty conservative. And that's why getting the chance to look at some other, having a small handful of resources that you can weigh and balance and then having somebody like yourself that they can talk to about which ones might make sense for them. Again, that discernment between what's going to be beneficial and what looks you know, flat out like a waste of money or even dangerous, that exists on a range and a practitioner like yourself can help them uh, navigate that range. Dr. Russ Greenfield, thank you so much for being with us today on the Lasting Impact Wellness Podcast. It's really been great to reconnect with a hero and mentor of mine and hear your journey, your insights, and your foresights. It's a privilege. I thank you. I thank you. I just, you're a special person. You always have been. And to see what you're doing now, it makes me happy because this journey that that I have been on has opened doors to me in understanding of the human condition of other people, and even perhaps my own meaning, aspiration, and purpose in ways I could never have envisioned. And there's almost no way to explain it. But now that I know that you are engaged in this journey yourself, I know you understand what it is that I speak of. And to sit across from somebody in that privileged space of service, trying to offer them ways that they can participate more fully in their care, 
and thereby better their circumstance, that is just short of a blessing. And it is certainly a grand privilege. So thank you so much for the opportunity to share my tale, if you will, and with somebody who I share my heart with. So thank you very much, Parker. Cheers to that. Privilege is indeed the word. That's all for today. Please connect with us and let's partner together for you or your organization. Use the community link in the show notes. Even better, drop us a line at info at lastingimpactwellness.com to suggest topics or guests for the podcast. On Instagram, we are at Lasting Impact Wellness. We ask that you download, subscribe to our podcast, and please rate it highly. Most of all, find a person to share it with to increase their well-being too. As always, thank you to all of our listeners near and far for your time and your energy. I'm Dr. Parker Hayes. Let's be well together.